Welcome to Engaging Parenting, the Bridgeway podcast on parenting kids and teens. And we're here to talk specifically about that glorious and terrifying work of parenting teenagers in our culture and why being spiritually and culturally informed is essential. And we also like to discuss practical tips on how you can parent confidently and watch your teenagers thrive. And my name is Pastor Matt, and I'm here with Pastor Cliff. And it's only appropriate for Pastor Cliff to introduce our guest today. So Cliff, will you tell us who is sitting across from us here and yes. how they are so close to yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, no offense to any of the other guests that we've had on this podcast, but I think our, our guests today are probably my favorite because they are my parents. Ah. Um, and so we have Cliff and Sally Woodward um, here with us today in this podcast, in this episode. And, you know, you know, uh, a few months ago, Pastor Matt and I were talking about, hey, what are, what are some things that we can talk about that are a little different than what most podcasts do? And here's the thing. I was a teenager once and my Don't parents were, were parenting me. So uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about myself as a teenager, but also kind of what um, my my parents really thought of when, when they were parenting me. So my mom, Sally Woodward, was a, um, you were a math, high school math teacher. It was awesome. I was actually your student once. That was a, that was a great time. And then my dad is a, a current eyeglass frame salesman. Um, and yes. yeah. So mom, how long were you teaching at high school, at that high school? I taught high school math for 18 years. 18 years. Man, mm-hmm. that's a long time. <laughs> and you were, you were with teenagers the entire time, right? The entire time. Was it mostly freshman, sophomore, or was it more? No. all I taught all four levels. All, all four levels. Yeah. And, and dad, was that fun watching her t- parent That's crazy. Teens? I don't know how she did it. <laughs> you don't know how she did it. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know math, so I don't <laughs> understand how you did it either. Well, not only the math, but then dealing with the teenagers too is a, both a big challenge. Yeah. How many times did, did mom come home and tell you a story about a teenager? And Every she, day. Every day. And it wasn't always the same one. It was different teenagers too, because they're, they're a little wacky as teenagers are. And then dealing with math, which most teenagers don't like. And so her challenge was to deal with the teenager and then also tell them how to, how to learn math. So it was, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was a big challenge for her. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. I, I can imagine that. Well, before we, we get into really the, the deeper questions, uh, I'm sure our listeners are curious to see how I was as a teenager. Yeah. I so, yeah, I think it's good for us to know a little bit about like most people only know Cliff is when he came here and, you know, he was about 22. Yep. 22. When he, when uh-huh. he came. So we only know him as a young adult, you know, like, like the Jessup years. And so we want to know, like, when did you start watching? Tell us a story about when you realized that Cliff was moving into becoming an adolescent or a teenager. So like right in that, like awkward 10, 11, 12 stage. Yeah. I mean, puberty. I mean, it's like, <laughs> that's an obvious one, but yeah, like, right. but like what, what's a story that kind of like marks to you? Like, Oh, this is when we realized he's becoming a teenager. Well, to me, it started even before that, um, when he was in grade school, because they would have these altar calls and his hand would be the first one up on the group, but he not only did it <laughs> once, he would do it every single time. And I go, Cliffy, once you commit to God, you don't have to keep doing it. Well, he goes, no, I have to, I have to. So quadruple salvation. Oh my gosh. He would do it. <laughs> I was, I was trying times. to be more holy than everybody else. Probably. He was just so excited and he had the, he had the <laughs> love for the Lord just from the get go. And we had to almost restrain him and say, you don't have to do it every time. You don't have to be the first one up there and all this now, but he just loved it. And it was just, it was in him. But then really junior high was when he started to get a little squirrely. Hmm. Probably the first time. So what do you mean by squirrely? 
Well, because there's some parents that are right now nodding their head <laughs> while they're listening to this. Well, I think puberty has a lot to do with it. And all of a sudden, they notice girls, and then they become more self-aware. And Cliffy was the same way. You know, he's he's never that cared about his hair, never really cared about his clothes, even though he had an older sister that really made him, you know, look presentable. And um, we just kind of let him do his thing. But yeah, he started actually brushing his hair and making sure he's coordinated. And um, oh yeah, he was ready for good school, times. and he had to look good. And you couldn't, I, I used to always walk by and I'll smack him in the head and mess up his hair. And he didn't like that anymore. It's like, <laughs> okay, I can't mess up his hair anymore, but I could still pick on him, you know, and make him know that I'm the dad. And, uh, but he, he, he was good. I mean, he just, there were a couple of years there. As soon as he got home, he'd go in his room, shut his door. It's like no talk zone or whatever. And, um, <laughs> very typical teen. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. We'd call him for dinner and he'd come out when he, you know, Hey dude, it's going to be cold. I don't care, man. I'm doing my homework or whatever, you know. Whatever that doesn't doing. sound like me. <laughs> he would come out when he wanted to play his video games because they weren't in his bedroom. Oh, there you go. So he would always come out for that. But he would, at that age, he was very, the emotional roller coaster was what was crazy for me. You know, he'd come home and like, is he going to be happy or is he going to not speak to anyone? So that was always the the telltale sign, especially in junior high. Like, and then knowing oh. your kids is that sometimes you want to interject and talk to them when they're on that emotional roller coaster. But it was a lose lose if he was really bummed out or if he was super happy. I mean, you had to kind of yeah. monitor that, but always be involved. We just tried to always be involved with them. Yeah, all these are uh, very typical typical things that you end up seeing, and uh, yeah, and it's you know it's just always good to remind everyone that like all pastors, all people in church or out of church are going through these same exact things (laughs) exactly, and parents are navigating it all over the place and in different ways. And so, um, how about, how about Cliff's friends? Tell us a little bit about when Cliff and his friends would hang out and if they came over to the house or you guys were taking them to do stuff, how did you watch him interacting with his friends or his junior high friend group was, a was an entertainment for us. (laughs) I'll have to say Um, they, I mean, they would do crazy things like they were spending the night on new year's and will you give me a buck if I'll jump in the swimming pool right now? Oh, sure. And so that's what they would do. And, um, they, we would take them all over the place so they could go to Panda, their favorite place to eat at the time. Really? Panda? You loved Panda. I never go to Panda anymore. Well, you used to. Well, interesting. We used to drop you there often. And he had one friend, Ryan, that he hung up with all the time and he was always at our house and they were always doing crazy boy things. A lot of video games and a lot of, uh, talking about girls and that kind of thing. But, um... They were they were fun to watch. They were, they were <laughs> crazy, crazy, mainly boys. Once in a while, there was a girl that was a friend, but it mainly it was a, about four or five of them. And uh, we had them a lot over uh, uh, different family issues were going on with some of his friends. And so our house became, okay, you're going to spend the night whether you want to or not because it's like 10 o'clock and I don't want to drive you home. Um, but they were they were all good kids. I mean, we never had to worry too much about extracurricular things that were happening, but they always had... Um, really fun, but they would go in packs. You know, there weren't like one or two friends. There was always like four or five, maybe six. So whenever they came over, you just knew you were going to get invaded. And then you had all that energy and it was hard to wear them out. And know? food. And food. Lots of food. Lots of food. Got a second loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Lots of food. Couldn't fill them up. No, that's, that's, that's super good. And, you know, 
what's what's really good about hearing um, even how I acted in in high school and, and middle school for those parents who are listening to this episode right now I mean you can relate to my parents um, because I'm sure your your son or your daughter is um, has friends over they eat a lot of food they they make stupid decisions and so you can be comforted in well pretty much everybody does that <laughs> when they're when they're a teenager um, but mom I mean I I, I tell a lot, of, a lot of people that you were a high school math teacher um, and, you know, for 18 years. And that's, that's a really long time. But when you started becoming a high school math teacher, why, why did you want to uh, be a teacher in the first place? Well, before I was a teacher, I actually um, worked in corporate America. I was an accountant. I did uh, lots of those kinds of things, but I've always loved math and I have always tutored math. I started tutoring math when I was 16. Okay. So I always liked math. It was always fun to me. And there was an opportunity that came around. And my kids were young then. I think, Cliff, you were probably in kindergarten. And the opportunity was for me to teach at their school. So I could be, for my kids, I could be around for my own children. And I could teach children, which I love to do. I love teaching kids. I, I tutored all that time. So um, when the opportunity came around for me to teach, I said, oh, I want to do this because I can be there for my children if they need me, and I can be there for everybody else's kids, too. Mm. And I loved it. I would go, Cliff used to tease me because he always took the kids to school so I could go to school whenever I wanted. And I would usually get there at 6.30 in the morning. And he used to say, why are you there so early? And I said, because there are kids right behind me coming to school and they, they, their parents have to drop them off early or whatever, and they need a place to be. So they might as well be with me. And so I would and, do that. And, and I loved it. you can get them it. to fall in love with math. I way. could try right. anyway. I can try <laughs> anyway. But um, it was really, it was really cool to get to know, not just teach the kids, but to get to be part of their lives and to know them. It was a sacrifice. So, Mom was sacrificing getting up so early so she could be there. And But I loved it. I wouldn't have done it any other way. That's awesome. And in those, you know, early hours, 6.30, 7 before school started, did you have, like, did you get to know the kids on a kind of a deeper Oh, deeper definitely. Yeah. Definitely. They would share things that maybe they couldn't share at home or they didn't want to share at home or they needed to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I still tutor to this day and I still have kids do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Which is kind of a cool reminder because it, it just shows you that there there are so many teens that they're actually very thirsty and anxious to talk with adults and process with adults. And sometimes they just don't mm-hmm. get enough time around them. Yeah. So those type of like windows when they're not loaded with all their homework and they're not loaded with all, you know, like that's a beautiful right. time in the morning. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. A, that's that you're a great point, Matt. I think you have to talk to your teenagers, even though they may not seem like they're listening or paying attention but they are hearing what you have to say. And it's your job as a parent to kind of break through that window and just say, hey, you know, you're my son, you're my daughter, um, and my job is to be your parent. My job is not to be your friend, not to be your best friend. My job is to be your parent because you have lots of friends. You only have two parents or one parent or whatever the situation is. So we always made it clear that we were going to talk to them and they were going to listen, whether they were looking at you or whatever. But you, you just need to have the communication flowing, even though you don't get a lot back sometimes, especially in that junior high years and early years, it's good to keep them. Yeah. Persistence, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So dad, you have, have, I know I asked this question a little bit earlier in the episode, but you've been observing um, mom with teenagers for 18 years when she was teaching. And what was that like? What was your experience like observing maybe positive and negative? Well, from a, it was second degree because she was always on the, call it the front lines because she was with the teenagers in the classroom and at home and and it was amazing that she could deal with teenagers in the classroom and then she'd come home and then 
you and your sister Morgan were there as well. So she yeah. never really got that break. For me, I only really had to deal with the teenagers in my home. I didn't have to deal with them in the school. Now, there were some events I went to and, and saw them. And it did give me great appreciation um, for my kids because I saw how squirrely some other teenagers could really be and how <laughs> aloof they were. So you're saying I was a great kid. Is that what you're saying? You were a pretty <laughs> darn good kid. All right. Pretty darn good kid. That was recorded. Perfect. Um, it was. I said and it. And the episode's done. That's all. All right. That's all we needed for to go. That's it. <laughs> but uh, you still have to keep an eye because you never know. I mean, there's temptations out there and there's your mind just plays things and there's influences. And um, you always got to know your, your kid's friends because they're the ones that are influencing more than the parent is at those ages. And that's why we always like to have his friends over. One of the reasons, because I mean, we enjoyed them even squirrely as they were, but at least we knew who he was hanging out with and yeah. same with our daughter too. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, no, that's, that's really sometimes cool. Sometimes you got to get to know the enemy. <laughs> get to know the enemy. <laughs> there you go. That's good espionage. I like it. Yes. <laughs> so, so um, over the years, like obviously you guys remember when Cliff and Morgan were, were teens and then when you were teaching as well, what have you observed in terms of how teenagers have changed over the years? Like, like when you look back to, you know, um, trying to do the math right now. So like eight to, to 12, 12 years ago and how teens were with Cliff and kind of what you're even seeing today, even though you're not in it, but you're still tutoring and, and you guys are still, you know, you run into teens all over the place. What have, what have been the things you've noticed as the biggest changes among teens? You know, the biggest changes I've seen among teens has been the the electronics and what's happened exactly. in that. That's been the because the basic their basic hearts and who they are really in the 18 years and plus that I've been with them, they haven't changed that much. They're still the the same kind of thing. They they still go through the same emotions and that kind of thing. But the electronics have changed their world a lot. So you have a lot of the phone thing and the the AirPods and the, all that kind of thing. That's that's a different thing. All my kids that I tutor, they'll walk in with the AirPods in their ears. That's how they walk. They do take them out before we do our math, but um, so that's a that's a different kind of thing. We don't and and that's something they've got to navigate, and it's hard for them as well as the adults that are in their lives. And it's and it's something that I don't know the, all the answers to, but th- I think that's changed the teens most. Because their basic core hasn't changed that much. Yeah. It's the same. I yeah. agree. I think it's the cell phone because we held off as long as we could before we gave Morgan our oldest. She's three years older than Cliffy and um, Pastor Cliff. And um, <laughs> Pastor Cliffy. Wait, before, let's just just, translate it now. Yeah, and but, that way it's the new term we could good. just call you. I'll, ex- I'll explain before, yeah, before you go on. That was a great comment. But just so you know, my parents have been addressing me as Cliffy. Now, picture this. I am the fifth Cliff in my family. So if you notice, my dad's name is Cliff as well. And my grandfather's name is Cliff. So in my household, if you yell Cliff, you have three people turn the head. So we have to distinguish between which Cliff we're talking about. So I have been named Cliffy. So when my parents call me Cliffy, that is why. So I just had to have to address was, that. Did you have a special name? He loves that the was, fifth. You know, well, my or, name was Gib. Our middle name is Gibbons, like the monkey. And that was that's another like story. But yep. <laughs> anyway, um, so they shortened that to Gib. And so in our family, it's my dad's Clifford. I'm Gib, and then uh, Cliff is. Cliffy. Cliffy. Okay. So now you have the with full spread, everyone, just yeah. so that you know. <laughs> you know all about so. my family history with my name. So but you were saying, okay, Gib. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So when we held out for Morgan to give her a cell phone until she was in, oh, maybe a late junior high, I think was the first time when she was playing sports and she wanted, we wanted it as a safety feature for her to, to, um, 
call us when practice was over. We could get a hold of her. And the funniest thing was when she first got it, um, texting was just starting, believe it or not. And she goes, Dad, I need to do this texting. And I go, well, how many do you need? And she goes, well, maybe 100, 100 a month would be good. Well, the first week she did a thousand because she didn't realize, <laughs> and you can imagine the bill, that when you say hello, that's one, and the person says back hello, that's two. So every time you communicate and they communicate, it was doubling up. So our bill was like over a thousand dollars for like a month. And so we had to nip that in the bug. Those companies made a lot of money when it started, but it just changed how the teenagers would think. Um, Cause now they had this device to communicate not only with us, but obviously other friends. And now it's escalated to social media on their phone. And now you have an undeveloped mind and an um, open heart of a person now walking around with a cell phone and they can interact with anybody in the world and anything in the world. And it's really super scary. We limited our time or our kids' times on the cell phone. And now I think it's even more important because those kids can tap into anything at any time. And you got to limit the time and um, watch who they're talking to. I mean, that's, as always, when we didn't have the cell phones, we were still looking at who were they talking to, who are their friends. And now that that bridge is just wide open. Yeah. And uh, you got to find out who they're communicating with. No, that, that's good. And that brings up another question, too, because on this this word communication, because um, uh, we even have, I have a cousin, you have a, you guys have a great niece that is a teenager right now, sophomore in high school. Um, how have you seen communication different? Obviously, phones, cellular devices are make it more um, front, but even how... How does she communicate that's different than in the past? Well, she she communicates with us a lot. We hear from her. But, you know, and there is good to that as well. Like um, she'll need if she'll need help from math and she has a study hall and the teachers allow them now to use their phones. She'll text me in the middle of the day and I'll help her with math during her study hall. And the teacher doesn't have a problem with it. It's okay. And so we'll do math back and forth. That's kind of a positive thing because she'll know she can do that. Yeah. But I mean, she knows she can contact us at any time. She'll text us though. Nobody talks on the phone anymore, even though they've got this phone, it's all texting. But there is a positive to that because even though we're her great aunt and uncle, she communicates with us all the time. We hear from her all the time. And so the fact that she's got that phone... That's a positive. Yeah, it's a bridge. So, so there, mm-hmm. it's not all bad necessarily. It just the and and her parents are very good at watching what she's on and and they commun- and They have this thing um, that's called three sixty, and they can find yeah, out Life where she is. Is that yep. what it's called? Yep. And they they know where she is when she leaves the door, and they so they know that kind of thing. So that's a positive thing as well. And she doesn't have a problem with it. She's a great teenager. But yeah, that's cool. You know, that's yeah. That's but she's really awesome. grown up with a phone. Like our kids had to learn it on the fly. Yeah. She's had a phone in her life since she was born. Yeah. So it's yeah. a whole different, they're able to do things with theirs that we don't even know. So, yeah. But she's a really qu- kind of a quiet girl. And so this is an ab- a way for her to talk um, without verbalizing. And so yeah. it's, a, it's a different mindset to talk to somebody who just is used to using their thumbs to, co- to m- communicate versus their mouth. It's yeah. a, it's a yeah. different. That's I was actually going to make a joke when you guys called it a cell phone because I'm like, well, it's not really a phone anymore. No, it's that's a, true. It's a cellular powered mini computer. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> really what it is. And because uh, there, yeah, there's not much talking, in, you know, or and even what's funny, I, I know that like we moved in our house to not having a home phone anymore, and we just have a cell phone, but we still joke about like we have a home cell phone. But we're like the only two people that call on it are our parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're yeah. the only ones that that do that type of calling, verbalizing. 
out loud piece. So mm-hmm. yeah. one interesting piece I might add too is um, I was reading some uh, some uh, observations that some students at Jessup, some youth ministry students were doing of, of teens in social contexts, so sports games, the mall, um, airsofting thing, and so on and so on. And it was, it was interesting to know, a lot of them were noting that what they observed of the students is they were more on their devices, like absorbed in it when they were around the adults but when they're around each other, they do this better interplay of they can be on it, but joking and showing, and and it was it was interesting because they were noting the social, the 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 external social dynamic to it, and I was like, oh, that's oh, interesting. I never noticed that. So something I'm going to start paying attention to, yeah. a little bit more. And it was you know when you guys were talking, it made me think about. I know when you go out to dinner, and I've seen families of four or five, whatever, and they're all sitting around the table at a restaurant, and every single one of them has their phone out, and they're not paying attention. The parents aren't paying attention to the kids, and the kids are paying attention to the parents, and they're all with their phone. And I just think that cannot be good for a family situation. I we always made it a rule that you cannot have cell phones at dinner. I mean, that was the one time when we could actually communicate. Sometimes we didn't get a lot of words out, but at least there was a time that we could communicate. <laughs> and they didn't, neither one of them, that's where the kids gang up on you because Cliffy and his sister wouldn't, you know, they would fight us on that, but we ultimately, look, you're not eating unless you put the cell phone down. So you had to be really stern with them, but they did. Yeah. It worked out fine. And I ate all of my food every every night. And that's why sometimes <laughs> it could be quiet is because the food was so good. Yeah. Because they were yeah. focused yeah. Oh, sure. enjoying it. We had squash yeah. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had squash like Apparently, all the time. Morgan doesn't like squash I, anymore. I never really liked squash either. Well, I, just, I love squash. I just discovered this. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anyways, um, so what aspects of teen life were you you guys afraid of when I was stepping into my teenage years? Like preteen, think, like what were you scared of? I think that's a universal thing. There's, I mean. <laughs> Can we say the word sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Yeah. I mean, but not <laughs> yeah. so much the rock and roll. I think I think it's just drugs. Again, it's it's the friendship. I think because uh, my wife and I, Sally, we weren't real big drinkers. We weren't into drugs and things. But your kids are no matter what school you're at, Christian school, whatever. Everything is out there, and you just be in touch with your kids and your friends. And the biggest thing is they're they're slipping stuff to them or. Um, and their friends are getting into things you don't even know about. But it was definitely the drugs, the extracurricular stuff. We tried to keep them busy in sports and be involved with their homework. And I coached them and Sally tutored them and we were just involved. But it's the biggest fear is the, the outside elements coming into your teenager's mind. Because remember, they're not developed. They're still learning and, and growing and they don't really know. They know right from wrong, but it's hard for them to decipher, especially when five of their friends are all doing one thing and they want you to do it too. And try to say no to that. It's, it's really hard for a teen to do it. And the last person in the world they're going to tell is their parents. So yeah. the only way the parents find out is if they're involved with them and keeping them busy and asking questions. And so maybe, that. so mom, would you agree that maybe what dad is saying is fear of the unknown? Well, yeah, but I, I probably have a little, maybe cause I'm the mom. Yeah. I, the, their emotional stability was a big deal to me too. Mm. Um, uh, cause like I had said for, for Cliffy, he, he would, he would just come home and look like he was about to blow up from every, I mean, and, and I would go in his room and say, what's bothering you? What's going on? I can't talk about it. I mean, he was just this pent up ball of, I don't know what. Oh my gosh. And I mean, he used to, and, and <laughs> when he's making me value and appreciate <laughs> oh, man. so much. More. I have grown so much. I promise. <laughs> but I'm he not would, that way he would come home sometimes and then he would go off and he'd walk all the way to, 
downtown, which was a long way away, and because he had to blow off and he couldn't communicate it. And so that their emotional and Morgan would come home the same thing. You could tell that she was just so upset. So their emotional life was really tough for me. Of course, I was home at that point when they came home. Cliff was still at work. So I would come home and I'd see these kids that were just so upset about something and they wouldn't necessarily tell me. Sometimes they would, sometimes they wouldn't. But that was the thing that really, that would that kept me up at night. I'd go to sleep going, are they better? Are they still upset? What's Mm. going on? Yeah, yeah. So that was always a struggle for me. Are there specific things that like you guys watched kind of coming up in the high schools or around the group of friends that... I mean, if you guys are okay like or hot spots it. or, yeah, or like, things that would be know, scary. Like, like whether was there a specific thing? Well, I think you when know. your kids go away, when they go on retreats, or if they go on um, trips with a bunch of groups, you never when you're not in control. Uh-huh. That's where it gets really hard, and that's where you got to have the faith that what you brought them up and how you raised them, they're going to make the right decisions. And you can say make the right decisions a hundred times, and that one kid who is a good friend of them says, hey, I want you to do this or come with me and do that. They're going to like, oh, okay, I'll do that. So that's your fear. It's, to me, it's more more control. But Cliffy was the emotional one in junior high. I mean, his highs and lows were like, oh my gosh. That's why when he locked him in his room, I'm like, cool, he's in his room right now. He can just do whatever. Morgan, <laughs> her daughter, was not so much that way. She was a little more even. In fact, she was so even, it's like, okay, what's going on with her? Because she hit everything. Cliffy was out there. We knew exactly if he was happy, he was sad, or what was going on. But those two years are like he was the, the squirreliest squirrel there was. But then when he got into high school, he seemed to mellow out a little bit. He, he had a couple different friends. He um, started, I mean. My mom is he, turning her head right now. Well, She's see, not necessarily he didn't really in agreement. mellow out too much. <laughs> Compared to junior high. Yeah, that was I the mean, worst maybe part. a little bit, but he still had those very highs and very lows. But Cliff has brought that up several times that their friends are really, that's really important because that influence. And since I worked at their school, it was helpful because I could see what was going on with some of these kids. And I could really watch what was going on. And you can see that somebody is heading down the path to hurt your child, be it another friend or um, a boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And you can see that and you never want your child to be hurting. I mean, that's as a parent, you don't want them to hurt. You know, you can't put them in a bubble, but you try to um, you try to stop it if you can, but you can't. And that was something I really had to let go of, especially since I was there uh-huh. and I wanted to control it, but I couldn't because they wouldn't have learned or grown if I did that. Interesting. Yeah. But it it was difficult, very difficult that I wanted to say, stop it, stop treating my child that way and quit it. You know, you <laughs> can't, a, you yeah, can't do that. Such a mom. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you want to do that, but you can't, and you can't get. And I see this happen. I see this happen with my niece and some of my um, her friends. The parents getting can't get involved in the kids' relationships in that way. You can give your child advice, but you can't call the mom and say your child is being bad to my child. You know, you kind of have to teach them to navigate those relationships because if if I mm-hmm. always keep jumping in, they're not going to be able to be an adult. Yeah, that's good. One technique I used was asking questions, even though sometimes I didn't get an answer. Instead of saying, you know, you really shouldn't be hanging out with that guy, I would say, why are you hanging out with that guy? Or what do you guys do together? Or what's the attraction? I mean, even mm-hmm. to this day, um, I still ask my, my I'm still going to call on my kids, even though they're 26 and 28. I says, what's the attraction to this person you're, you're talking to or you're seeing? Because I want to know. But if I state it a different way, like, oh, she's not too cute or he's, he's kind of weird. You know, I get more information if I'm asking questions. 
I think that's a good thing to do. They probably get tired Tobacco of my questions. Their methods, now, now this I is know. what's great. Is like, <laughs> yeah. Our communication is going to be yeah. so much better now. <laughs> I know, or I know, worse. Or I don't worse. Know. I know I your think, motives. I think it'll be healthier. And, uh, <laughs> it's like a group counseling on on the air. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> not that you needed counseling, but it still was. Oh, yeah. No, it was this, still is wonderful. this is great. This is great. Well, thank you for listening to another uh, episode of Engaging Parenting. It was so awesome having my parents um, here on this episode. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're, we will be airing another episode with my parents talking more about what this looks like to parent a teenager. But as always, if you have any questions for Pastor Matt or myself, email me at cwoodward at bridgeway.church or Pastor Matt at mbach at bridgeway.church. Looking forward to talking to you soon. Thanks, Cliffy. Thank you for listening to the Engaging Parenting Podcast, hosted by Pastor Matt Bach and Pastor Cliff Woodward, presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. For more information about Bridgeway and other content, visit bridgeway.church.